right, listen, we've got tons to get through today because the brand new copy of Take a Break magazine's out. The stories are great this week as they always are. And uh, we're starting off with Save One Life, Save the World. Yes, so this is from a lady called Barbara Winton. Um, and it's a story that she told us all about her dad, Nicholas Winton. He's a really wonderful man, as you see when I'll read on. Um, and it all started when she was flicking through the pages of a scrapbook and looking at image after image of smiling faces. She said their hairstyles and clothes were old-fashioned and the photos were yellowing with age, but all she saw was children like her, full of hopes and dreams. You ask me what I did before the war, her dad Nicholas said. Well, these were the children of the kinder transport. Barbara was 15 years old and though she knew her father had done something special in the dark days of the Nazis, she didn't understand what. All she knew is that it involved putting some children on a, on a train. If anyone asked her dad about it, he'd wave them away and say, history is the past, it's today that matters. But whatever her dad had done back in those days, she knew it would have involved helping people. When her brother Robin was born with Down syndrome, the doctor had suggested he go into a care home, which was normal in those days. But her mum and dad had fought fiercely to keep him. And when he was eight, Robin died. Afterwards, her dad said, there's not enough support for families affected by Down syndrome. He got involved with the charity MENCAP and sat, set up a local centre. It was tif- typical of him. If ever, see, if ever he saw a problem, he fixed it, and he never took no for an answer. One day, he said, if there's a sign saying don't walk on the grass, it means you can walk on the grass, or they wouldn't have to tell you not to. Barbara looked confused and he said, if it's not possible, there must be a way to do it. Years passed and Barbara married a man named Stephen. Then one day her mum and dad came over to help decorate their first house and she told them that that they were going to be grandparents for the first time. Oh Barbara, her dad had said, that's wonderful. That afternoon her dad received a phone call from the BBC because they wanted to show his scrapbook on a programme and they'd invited him to sit in an audience. Her mum said, I'll watch from home, there'll be too much standing around. As she was expecting, Barbara stayed at home too, so Dad travelled to London alone and took his place in the audience of the TV show That's Life. They watched from the sofas. They were only expecting a little item, but they were in for a shock when the presenter, Esther Ranson, began to tell the viewers all about her dad. In 1938, he'd been a young British stockbroker visiting Prague, which was about to fall under Nazi occupation. As it dawned on him what was about to happen to the local Jewish community and other persecuted groups there, he'd decided that he couldn't stand idly by. So over the weeks, he'd written letters and made phone calls, begged and cajoled and refused to give up in an effort to find children safe countries to flee to. In the end, Great Britain answered his plea. Dad organised a mammoth operation. He collected photos of children and matched them with loving families in Britain. With the help of a few brave volunteers, he got them on a train all the way to Liverpool Street in London. Esther explained that the Czech Czech Kinder Transport had rescued 669 children, mostly Jewish, from Czechoslovakia just before the Second World War. Now Barbara realised the significance of what her dad had done. If he hadn't got those children out, they might have died in Nazi concentration camps, as many of their parents eventually did. She thought, I had no idea. Esther Ranson held up her dad's scrapbook and pointed to a list of the children's names. This is Vera Diamond, now Vera Gissing, she said. And she's here with us tonight. The camera panned onto the audience where her father sat and the woman next to him smiled. She turned round to Barbara's dad, grasped his hand and said, hello. The woman, the the child he'd saved all those years ago, leant in for a hug and whispered, thank you. 
Then the woman on the other side held something up to the camera. It was her visa to England all those years before. She said, I'm another of the children you saved. She held Barbara's dad's hand and his face crumpled with emotion. Barbara started to cry and she thought, this isn't history, this is real life. The next week, her dad went back on that's life and Esther said, if there's anyone in our, anyone else in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton, please stand. Slowly, all of the women and men surrounding her dad rose from their seats in silence. He turned in his chair and stood up and he looked around the crowd and smiled, nodding to his children. Later, Barbara's dad explained to her that the kinder transport survivors had given him a gold ring they'd bought him as a gift, and inside it read, Save one life, save the world. Dad met with one of the children, Vera Gissing, and he discovered that for years she'd lived only seven miles away. She told them all about leaving her parents to go to England, and described the moment that she boarded the train with her sister Eva and hundreds of other children. Parents had lined the platform, hugging and waving to their sons and daughters, faces stained with tears. The train pulled away and that was the last time Vera saw her parents. When Barbara became a mother later to Lawrence and Holly, it hit, to them, it hit home with her all the more. Over the years, Dad became good friends with his children. They visited him, took him to the opera and every year he threw a big birthday party and some of them came from across the world. Eventually, Barbara's mum died from pancreatic cancer age 79. Now Dad was 90 but he was far from lonely. One day she suggested he was too old for a party and he said, What else would I be doing on my birthday, Barbara? I hope you've ordered enough champagne. Then at 98 he received a knighthood from the Queen for services to humanity. When he turned 100, Barbara decided it was time to commemorate his life by writing a book. He said, I don't want people to just read it. People need to learn from it. Make sure people know if something isn't impossible, try it. So they spent hours going through his experiences and then going for lunch in the pub. Barbara said it was wonderful to have those times with him. And then at, at 106, he fell ill. Uh, he continued to read newspapers till his final weeks and until his last moment he was surrounded by those he loved, just as he liked. Barbara kissed her dad and said good night. Then he died peacefully in his sleep. Barbara said to us, my father saw people in need and he refused to turn his back on them. I hope people not only remember what he did, but that it inspires them. If something isn't impossible, try it. Once I asked my dad, why do you do it all? He, I enjoy it, he replied simply. I'm not a saint, I just love being with people and helping them. He'll always live on in the hearts of those he saved. Oh, but he is a saint. He is an absolute saint. Isn't that an incredible story? I know, it's incredible. Every time I read it, I'm, it makes Gives you me goosebumps. almost cry. Yeah, I get goosebumps and I'm fighting back tears because it's so wonderful. Oh, do you know something, Kim? There's just certain people that are put on this earth and they're complete and utter angels, aren't they? And they just, you know, it's so humbling. And when you hear stories like that, it just makes you wonder about yourself and, you know, could I be doing more and I should be a better person? And, you know, it's people like like him that really kind of show people like me up. Um, <laughs> so it's it's absolutely wonderful. It really is. And oh, just congratulations to him and what a man. And uh, his daughter, obviously, uh, just loved him so much to write that book and so immensely proud of him but imagine keeping it to himself all those oh years oh my gosh I know he was just so modest that he just didn't want to tell anyone and then when it all 
came out and everyone came together and his children came back. It was such a surprise to all the family. And he'd just done this wonderful thing and not even felt the need to tell anyone for years. It's incredible. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, listen, we're going to move on to our next story from this week's Take a Break magazine. And it's uh, The Hug of Life. Yes, so this is from a lady called Ashley Dawson. One day she had some news for her husband, Mark. He was at work on a trip abroad, but she couldn't wait, so she rang him on FaceTime and she held up a little white stick. It's positive, she said. Are you sure, he said. You haven't misread it. No, she replied. We're definitely pregnant. They'd been trying to conceive for four years and then decided to pay for one round of IVF. Ashley was careful not to get her hopes up, but now she was buzzing with excitement. Four weeks later, a sonographer scanned her tummy and said, There it is. Wow, she replied. Mark and Ashley gazed in awe at their baby's heartbeat flickering on the screen. I just need to check a few things, the sonographer said. She went quiet and began moving the Doppler around her tummy. Yes, there's another heartbeat, she said. It's twins. Suddenly, Ashley welled up with tears. She reached for Mark's hand and knew exactly how he felt as well. They'd been so desperate for a baby, and here they were now being told they were getting a ready-made family. She whispered, we're so lucky. They sat down with their consultant and were told that the embryo they had implanted during IVF had split, meaning the twins would be identical. They're sharing a placenta, so we'll need to scan you regularly, she said. So they went to the clinic every fortnight. At 20 weeks, they discovered they were having two girls. Ashley told Mark, you're going to be seriously outnumbered. Tell me about it, he said. They bought double buggies and two cots and stocked up on matching pink dresses, baby grows and sleep suits. But to 24 weeks, the consultant looked grave. I think your babies might be suffering from twin-to-twin infusion, transfusion syndrome, she said. She explained it was a condition that inf- affected in identical twins, where one received too much blood and became overloaded with fluid, putting a strain on their heart. One of your babies is getting bigger, but the other's growth is slowing, she said. I'm afraid the syndrome could be life-threatening for them. Mark and Ashley were crushed and they spent the weekend on edge waiting for a follow-up scan. Then on the the day, the babies were checked again. Their fluid levels haven't increased, the consultant said, but we'll scan you weekly just in case. In the weeks that followed, Ashley told herself every day that the twins inside her were getting stronger. Then one day she went to the clinic as normal and the consultant said, it's time to meet your babies. Now, she gasped, she was only 33 weeks and 6 days, but he said... They look stressed, one of them has stopped growing and has no fluid. It's best we get them out. Ashley was taken to a ward at the hospital and booked him for a caesarean. The next day she was wheeled into theatre and given a spinal injection. Then Mark gripped her hand as they waited for their babies to be delivered. And when they came out, neither of them cried. She felt her heart thud with fear. Would they be okay? She caught a glance at one baby before medics began working on them both. Then they were whisked off to the neonatal unit. Can I see them? she asked. Not yet. You need to recover, a midwife said. She willed the twins to be okay as she drifted off to sleep. Then when she came round, she said, Please, I need to see my babies. A midwife helped her into a wheelchair and took her to see the twins in their incubators. Ashley's heart filled with joy, but she said her head also filled with fear. They each weighed four pound one ounce and looked so fragile. Hello, girls, she said. Mark and Ashley called the firstborn twin Heidi because she'd always been hiding behind her sister during the scans. They named the second sister Isabella. 
Heidi was weaker and on oxygen and both girls were being tube fed and closely monitored. Then after 10 minutes with them, Ashley took a funny turn. So she went back onto the ward and she was surrounded by mums with their babies. She was the only one without hers. She spent every minute she could at the sa- at the twins' side, reading Little Miss Twins and the Very Hungry Caterpillar or just chatting to them. Ashley also started a special diary the hospital gave her called a baby passport, which helped to monitor the girls' progress. When the twins were three days old, a nurse gently placed them in her arms for the first time, skin to skin, and she'd never been more proud. Then something magical happened. The girls turned to look at each other and then Isabella reached out her tiny arm and put it around her sister. Would you look at that, the nurse cried. Quick, take a photo. Mark started quick clicking away with his phone. Isabella had protected Heidi in the womb and she was doing it now, comforting her sister and letting her know she was there. Seeing their bond was so special and in that moment Ashley said she just knew that everything would be okay. When they were 12 days old, the twins got to go home and soon they were safe and sound back in their home in Cheadle Hume, Greater Manchester. She finally could place them side by side in their Moses basket and as soon as she put them down, Isabella did what she always did. She put her arm around Heidi. Now the twins are nine months old and Isabella is definitely the more protective one. She always cuddles Heidi or checks to see where she is. Ashley said, every time she does, I'm reminded just how lucky I am and I'm convinced that their unique bond is what helped them survive. Oh, isn't that a lovely story as well? Two really beautiful stories today from Take a Break magazine. And uh, thank goodness it ended up the way it did because um, for a horrible minute there, I thought she was going to lose one of the twins or, you know, it must be such a, a terrifying time for a woman carrying a baby for that length of time and not knowing uh, the outcome so you know especially when they're told something's wrong so it's just an absolute miracle it's brilliant oh it's so lovely it must have been really scary for her but I just love thinking about that moment when she saw Isabella reach out and protect Heidi it must have been so special I know I know it must have been absolutely oh Chris and Kim thank you so much for for being with us here today and for taking us through those two fabulous stories from this week's Take a Break magazine and obviously the brand new copy is out so please do go out and get it if you can but if you can't and you want to take a look online it's a fully accessible website have you got the web address Yep, it's www.takeabreak.co.uk. Fantastic. Kim Gregory, do not leave it so long next time. We'll speak to you again soon. <laughs> I promise I'll be back. <laughs> we'll speak to you again soon here in the Daily Lounge and RNIB Connect Radio. You have a good weekend. Oh, you too, Jill. Thanks for having me.